Hello, welcome to Rust Belt Startup. I'm your host, Ryan Miller. Uh, and if you're new here, Rust Belt Startup is a podcast that is full of long-form conversations with artists, entrepreneurs, uh, educators, people that are living unconventional lives in unconventional locations. Speaking of unconventional lives and unconventional locations, my guest on the pod today is Mr. Leon Etienne. He is a world-renowned illusionist, and he's rolling through upstate New York uh, doing a show this Saturday at the Stanley Theater. He's the creator of Magic Rocks, and he's also been uh, featured on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, uh, America's Got Talent, Penn & Teller's Wizard Wars, and, and much more. Uh, he's a great guy, and we had a fantastic conversation about why we need a little bit more magic in our lives. Uh, we talk about the business of magic and how he started from learning some simple tricks at home when he was 12 to building this career where he travels all over the world um, showcasing one-of-a-kind illusions. We get into his trajectory of making um, magic a career where he started learning some simple tricks and, and doing parties and growing to a full-fledged touring operation that goes all over the world. We'll talk about some of those big breaks, whether that's America's Got Talent or working with Penn & Teller, meeting his heroes, bringing magic to the people during the pandemic, and so much more. It's a really wide-ranging conversation, and it was awesome to catch up with Leon. I hope you guys all check out the show if you're in the region this Saturday night at the Stanley, and uh, let's let's get right into it. I'm going to try to stay up and watch the Bills tonight. And we'll see oh, I'll make those. Yeah. <laughs> Go Bills. Um, for, okay, so so first of all, um, can you just tell right off the top, you're in town because you're doing a big show at the Stanley Theater in Utica. Yeah. Um, can you tell me about like what is the Magic Rocks show? Because that's really your brand. So let's just start let's start there before we go back in time. So Magic Rocks was birthed out of uh, a band called Trans Siberian Orchestra. I love them. They are my favorite band in the world. Uh, I love my rock genre bands like Metallica yeah. and Linkin Park and all these and all these great acts. But my number one band. If someone said, "What's your band?" It's Trans Siberian Orchestra. Really? So when I saw Trans Siberian Orchestra, probably which I've probably now seen close to 60 times. I was just doing the math on this. Like when I say I'm a huge fan, I'm a huge fan. Wow. So when and I their saw it changes a lot, doesn't it? Well, no, that's the thing. Oh, so oh, so oh. so here's the here's the very quick story. Is my buddy calls me up. I'm like 18. Goes, "Dude, my mom just bought tickets to see this stupid orchestra in Syracuse. You got to come with me." And so we get dressed up in a shirt and a tie. And we go out to Syracuse, go to Dinosaur Barbecue first. Neither of you knew was... Had no okay, idea okay. what Trans-Siberian Orchestra was. Just that his mom bought tickets to an orchestra. Okay. And so we're, we're, we're walking. We go to Dinosaur Barbecue. Then we're walking to, I think it was the On Center. Mm -hmm. And I said, looking around, I see all these dudes with leather jackets and long hair. And I'm like, oh, there must be two concerts tonight, yeah. right? And then we, sure enough, get in the arena. And then everyone in the arena, leather jackets, long hair, Metallica t-shirts. And I was like, okay, we're definitely overdressed. Maybe it's a casual concert, yeah. right? Because I'm thinking Philharmonic Orchestra, right? And then at the, the On Center, at the On right? Center, it must be an awesome orchestra. Yeah, right? and I'm 18. I hadn't traveled that yeah. much. I was like, wow, this is cool. Syracuse is the big city at the time to yeah. be, you know, yeah. like when I'm that young. And uh, and literally the lights go down, and the voiceover comes on and says, "Ladies and gentlemen, we are the Trans Siberian Orchestra." And the lights went nuts. The pyro went off. And I was like, oh, my God, this is not. <laughs> so what they basically are to the uninitiated is they took 
Paul O'Neill, they're an incredible founder, came from a band called Sabotage, which was awesome as well. Uh, they created a, a rock opera around Christmas stories. They have other rock operas that have nothing to do with Christmas. Okay. But they basically took the Christmas music genre and just rocked it, right? Which is kind of, in their way, never been done on such a scale mm -hmm. that they've done. So when I saw that, I was like, and I love Christmas. So they're like, they took classic Christmas carols, songs, and rocked them completely. And at that point in my life, I was doing magic very classically. I was wearing a tux mm -hmm. and tails in some cases and presenting magic how I had seen it done in the classic sense. And when I saw them, I was like, wait a second. We can definitely take the classics of magic and rock them out. And that's literally when Magic Rocks that's was cool. born. I did a keynote with one of the guys from Trans-Siberian. What? Vegas. Yeah. I've, and I can't remember his name. He was a violin player. Yeah. Mark Wood. No, there's no one. He used to tour around here. Uh, a lot of them have branched off. Yeah, so, yeah But the yeah. core of the band is still there. Uh, I can't remember. If, if I heard his name, I would remember it. But I'll look it up after. But we yeah, was we, it Electrify Your Strings program? Because they no, do come to a lot of area schools. It and was stuff. Um, it was a program I did for uh, uh, an online uh, an e learning platform. Oh, that's um, cool. That he was a part of it was very more much not inspirational. roddy yeah it was roddy. roddy oh yeah. roddy okay yeah. cool yeah he's the current violinist oh, okay, mark yeah. was was like the original and now roddy's had yeah. the gig for like nice guy great guy yeah, great guy cool. so, yeah he's awesome yeah i spent some time with him we were out in um he's he's very cool on social i've never met him in person yeah. but he always likes he's he's him. um he's very just regular dude and then when he goes into yeah speaker mode he's speaker mode yeah um so yeah, it was in Rochester. I can't remember. The oh, that's really yeah, cool. That's cool. really cool. And then basically, the way Magic Rocks is now described, I can't describe it any better than this critic once wrote. It was like as if Metallica and David Copper, or sorry, yes, Metallica and David Copperfield had a baby. Um, <laughs> and believe it or not, I used that as a quote mm -hmm. in some of my marketing. And Metallica's management uh, wrote out and was like, "Hey, we love what you're doing, man. Looks great, but we don't want people to think Metallica's endorsing you. That so could you lay so off funny. with the." With that, which is of great, which yeah. when you're getting Metallica's management totally, attention, totally. you're doing something, and right. you're not getting just a, a, a generic cease and desist. Yeah, right? I save yeah. that email. I keep it as motivation because awesome. it's like, hey, I got their attention. But yeah, that's what it is. It's basically a rock and roll illusion show. Um, we have a lot of classics. We have a lot of stuff I've invented and created, um, and it's completely family friendly. Like the, you know, the costumes are a little edgy, and you know, there's some leather and stuff, but. Uh, but it's, it's great. It's yeah. No, I'm never... excited. I'm taking both my kids, so oh, we're going awesome. to be there. So um, let's let's back up, I guess, a little bit. I don't want to just call it the beginning. Um, you know, you've got roots here in the in the Mohawk Valley, and I want to first start about like, or first talk about how did you come into magic or the art of illusion? Um, where you know, did you wake up and just decide I'm good no. at this? So I was 12 years old. I was grounded by my mother, bored out of my mind because, you know, before the Internet, literally yeah. when I'm 12, uh, I'm in my room and I'm playing with my fire trucks and stuff under the bed, my hockey equipment's there, my baseball stuff. Uh, and I come across a magic book underneath with all the other stuff that my grandparents had given me like it was the Christmas before. And I was like, oh, this is cool, but just, just kind of. It, yeah. it was kind of sort of opened, yeah, I guess, yeah. but just kind of threw it under the bed. And I was just out of pure boredom opened it up and I and I said, oh, let's try this trick. It was literally like the first trick mm -hmm. I turned to in the book. And I learned it and of course I wanted to show someone. So I left my room when I was grounded mm -hmm. and first thing out of my mom's mouth is get back in your room, you're grounded. I said, I just want to show you this thing I just learned. And I literally performed this trick and watched a grown woman who has been telling me what to do my whole life 
just mind melt. And I think that was the moment where it was just like, wow, this is... What was the trick? It was... <laughs> so you take a card, okay. you rip it into four pieces, you put it into an envelope, snap your fingers... And it's back. And it's back completely restored. And then you can open the envelope up, rip it apart, show that's there's nothing. That's a hell of a first trick. It is, and that's the beauty of magic. Entry-level magic is really powerful, but yet easy to do. Um, and that's the beauty of That's why everyone loves magic. It's a mm-hmm. universal language. Um, but that, that was the moment. And then what kind of happened is from 12 to... I'd say 16, I, magic just became another hobby. You know, mm-hmm. like I was playing hockey, baseball, football, and, and magic. And then I broke my finger, uh, like the high part of my finger, I guess, when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And I had a cast from my elbow down, and I couldn't do magic for six weeks. And that's how much, that's when I realized how much I, I missed it. Hmm. Uh, and, but yeah, that was the catalyst. That was the springboard. And then every, there used to be a show on NBC called World's Greatest Magic. And it, I remember this. It aired yeah. every Thanksgiving Eve, so when families yeah. are gathering for the holidays, a good time to have a TV show, actually. Yeah. Um, they, they would air it. It was called World's Greatest Magic. And for every Thanksgiving Eve, I think for three years, I would just sit in front of that TV. And what really inspired me to keep going is they were doing things that was not in my magic book. So I was yeah. looking through the book because I'm like, this guy's doing this. Where is that answer? And then my dad literally had no idea how to help me because he was a sports guy. <laughs> right, right. So to his credit... He pulled out the phone book and looked up magicians in Utica. First name he saw, he just called the guy. Who was it? It was Jeff Sterling was the gentleman's okay. name. I think he's since moved to Florida. Um, but Jeff picked up the phone. He's like, hey, my son's in the magic. I don't... He goes, oh, great news. There's a magic club right in Utica, New York. And turns out to this day, there is a magic club called the Don Conley Ring of the International Brotherhood of Magicians. Here? Yeah, in Utica. They're, uh, they're everywhere. There's like 2,000 different chapters throughout the world. Um, and right here in Utica, we have a rich magic history. Um, there's a gentleman named Walter Cummings who used to live right off of Eric Street, okay. right near the brewery, who literally in the movie Houdini was Tony Curtis's hands. Like, Walter was a huge deal. He was Crazy. flown over to England to perform for the Queen, and he lived right here in Utica. Like, he was doing straight jacket escapes upside down like Houdini was on Varick Street when, uh, when the place across from the brewery used to be a theater, like in the... In the forties, I don't even remember this. I know it was that's crazy. No one knows, and that's the thing. There's a there's a there's a lot of rich magic history right here in this in this area. That's um, cool. But anyway, I, the reason I, I bring that up is because you said go to the magic club, and then those guys were sh- you know they started just to show me stuff. where the real deal stuff yeah. was, and that just springboarded. And I started entering magic competitions. I started winning them, um, and that what really happened to go from hobby slash you know uh, just for fun was in Proctor, at Proctor High School when I was a senior, to graduate, you had to do a community service project. And I said to myself, 9-11 had just happened because mm-hmm. I that fall because I was graduating in the spring of 2002. So I went to the principal, uh, Mr. Mancuso at the time, and I said, hey, what do you think about this? If I put a magic show on in the auditorium and in order to attend it, students would leave class, they would donate $2 mm-hmm. to their teacher and they could go down to the auditorium and see a show. And to my amazement, he said, okay. It was like a Friday afternoon. That was the community service. Program, that was it. Right? So it was like a Friday afternoon, eighth and ninth period. Yeah. And th- there were two problems. One, I didn't have enough time to fill eighth and ninth period. Yeah. I only had like 15 minutes of magic at the time. So this was my first foray into producing. And I like got my friend Sean Robeson, who's an awesome magician mm-hmm. here in Utica, and a bunch of other guys together. And we produced a show. And that was the first time I put a big show together. Big. <laughs> and, uh, and then the real eye-opener was once I saw how much money we actually donated to the 9-11 fund, I was like, wait a second. If you can do this X amount of times a month 
in different venues, cities, whatever, you can make a really good living. And that was when the epiphany was like, oh, you can make this work. And at 18, when I was graduating, I thought I was just going to go out and be a magician. And luckily, by that time, I had met a great, a great man named Peter White, who like has worked with Chris Angel, all these big mm-hmm. magic names. And he said, uh, you're, you're, you're going to go to college. And I was like, no, I'm not. I was like, I'm going to go be a magician and take on the world. He said, no, you're going you're gonna to go to college and you're going to major in business with a focus in marketing and all your minors and electives are going to be in theater. Smart. And that's what Smart. I did. And so I got the show business side, like the stage side through all my minors and electives, the acting side. Yeah. And then all the business stuff I got, I got through that and turned out to be a great... Where'd you go to college? Well, I went to MVCC yeah. first. All right. Then I went to Utica College. And while I was in Utica College, I did a semester abroad in Wales. Oh, awesome. um, so yeah, I literally did the whole school That's system awesome. I, in Utica. I went, I went Sacred Heart from kindergarten to sixth grade, which is over in Yorkville. Then I went to Donovan yeah. and Proctor, MVCC, Utica College. The whole, the whole <laughs> Central New York education experience. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's I didn't I didn't know that you did because I, I was going to ask like okay so well let me back up so you you finished college yep and then did you just become a magician? Well, so the truth is, when I learned that first trick when I was 12, by the time I was 13, I had put a show together. Yeah. And of course, my mom's friends were like, hey, my son's having a birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was doing shows this whole time. Yeah. But it wasn't until, and, and in college, I literally paid my way through college by doing birthday party shows right here in Utica yeah. and the surrounding area. And I was uh, a regular at Babe's Macaroni yeah, Grill and yeah, yeah. Bar. Um, I was there every Friday, Saturday night. So I literally paid for my textbooks intuition by doing magic tricks did so have you ever had i want to call it a real job have you this has been the career you've yeah, gone straight I was, entrepreneur i was like, a paper boy for yeah. the utica od it doesn't when, count yeah so <laughs> so if that doesn't count wow. then no i've never had a real job and i used all the paper money paper root money to buy magic tricks so. that's crazy yeah um you started with a with just learning stuff out of a book then you go to the society uh, or the clubs to yep. start um start learning learning tricks can you talk a little bit about the, um, the, I don't know, is it, is, are people willing to share? There's this dynamic of, okay, there's, there's tricks that you learn and then there's tricks that you create yes. or illusions that you create. Yep. To me, that sounds like it's two different parts of your brain. One that's creating something totally. new and then one that, it, how do you, how do you, um, cause I'm assuming you're starting with illusions that are Basic known or created, right? Public knowledge stuff. Public yep. knowledge, yep. right? And then, but you got to make, I'm assuming on a career level, you got to make that jump. Yes. So what's the first trick that you created or illusion that you created? Wow. That is a great, well, one of the very first tricks I created was a a card trick uh, called box shot. And it's been published uh, in several different books of friends of mine that they were like, I was doing it and I didn't know it was original. Mm -hmm. And they were just like, what is that? We've never seen anything like that before. And for me, it happened on accident. I was practicing a trick that I was trying to learn. And an accidental move, a sleight of hand mm-hmm. thing just happened on accident. I was like, that looks really cool. And I just started going around to conventions and doing that. And people were cool. like, hey, we've never seen that before. And then one of my friends was like, could, could we publish that? So that was the first thing I ever created um, that was original to me. And there's, there's really three ways to, do, to create magic. There are people's jobs mm-hmm. that literally sit around an office building yeah. like this. It's they like go the to Nashville work. songwriters. Uh, exactly. Right? They go yeah. to work nine to five yeah. and they are creating magic yeah. tricks. And then they for, license them or sell them. For, right? sale, for okay. sale. So I can buy tricks, which you then just don't do out of the box. You yeah. learn it, but then you put your yeah, personality, your twist on it. Then there's people uh, that just create everything themselves, which is extremely difficult yeah. to be a hundred percent original. That's why I have, I have friends in this industry that are, and I admire them so much. 
And then there's a combination of both. Like I'll go to an illusion designer, the same guy who who builds all my props now, same guy who builds for David Copperfield, for Chris Ain. Like there's only so there's a whole industry. There's only a handful of guys yeah. in the world that do this. And so those are the three ways. Buy license a trick, yeah. create it yourself, or collaborate. Buy it, build it, or yeah. Yeah. And I do and I do all, all three. three. I really do. Um, I really enjoy being on stage and performing, but I also really love the creativity side. And then the business side, unfortunately, uh, takes up a lot of yeah. time now. Well, it's like you know? it's like bands or yeah. any any kind of creative yeah. industry. Yeah. Um, and I've just never. And the answer is, well, what, well, don't you have an agent? And yeah, I used to have eight, I used to have four agents, uh, all in different markets. And now I've just retained one for the cruise industry because I book everything else myself now. Um, because no one ultimately, no one cares as much as you do, sure. right? Um, which is natural. I don't expect anyone to put me before their their family and their businesses. Um, but I've worked with agents that are supposed to just let me work on the creative, and then they're working mm-hmm. on the business. But I have those skills, the marketing skills. So right. why why well, am I, I up throwing the, up another twenty percent to yeah. someone who? Not all, but it, it just felt like a lot of email pushing back and forth. Well, you know? you're you're probably one of many clients, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, could I back up? Because I yes. do want to talk about the the. Um, the business side of this quite a bit. This is like so interesting to me about this, you know, this, this transition from birthdays to casinos. <laughs> to tra- I mean, you've been to Macau, you're all yeah. over the world, yeah. you know, um, there's six of the seven continents. So what's far. the last one? Antarctica. Antarctica. And right. David Copperfield says he's performed there. I don't, I don't know who he is performing. Some this penguins, val- scientists, yeah, I scientists. Right, I did well, see Metallica just did a concert in, in Antarctica? Antarctica. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah, and they had like these little igloos set up. It was kind of cool. All right. Yeah. So right. maybe, maybe, maybe I'll get there someday. You gotta you gotta link up with Metallica yeah. <laughs> at oh some God. point. Yes, I do. There's there's a point where you're doing I, I, I'm equating this to like, you know, I was in local bands for a long time and it's it's the the hustle Super. of I loved looking. watching you guys. Yes. <laughs> it was great to catch yes. up with you New Year's Eve yes. too. Um but you know, you're you're hanging the posters, you're calling the clubs, you're trying to convince people that they should invest in you, take a chance on you. You had, to, I'm assuming you had to go through that same process, but there's at some point. Still going. You're still it. going through. Oh, yeah. Okay. It never ends. Okay. Never ends. Yeah. And then there's, so let's talk about that a little bit because I want to know how you do it, how you, what the grind was like. Then you go to the kind of like agency model and then what the grind is like because. Yeah. How, how do you go to a new market where nobody knows you, nobody knows what you're doing, and you gotta you gotta sell yourself? Yeah, you uh, you kind of said it when we walked in here, and I was com- complimenting you on this project. It's like it takes a decade. Yeah, it takes you a know, decade. it really does. Yeah. So going, it was I wouldn't say it was easy in the beginning, but if my focus just wanted to be Utica and Central mm-hmm. New York, word of mouth is a huge yeah. player. So as soon as I got out there and started just doing shows, even for free. You, if you're doing it right, if you don't book two or three shows every time you go out in public and and do charity shows and stuff, then you're doing it wrong because that would it just happens naturally. People are like, oh, could you do this birthday party or we have this mm-hmm. holiday party coming up? So I found the the local regional thing not easy, but once the momentum got going, it, it kind of fed itself. And early days of websites and mm-hmm. stuff, you were I was just I was the guy when you Googled magician Central New York. Yeah, it was the, I was the up. one who came up. Um, and then what happened was I just, I always felt I wanted to do something bigger. Yeah. Um, I, I started doing bigger illusions and, and people 
tend to want to see those in bigger spaces. So it, it came with, and, and you have to, like, yeah, like yeah. you can't go in someone's living room and set up uh, <laughs> sawing, although I have done that. Um, but uh, but it, it just became out of necessity. I wanted to learn how to do bigger productions, bigger shows. And I started touring colleges, which was the next step. So I went from local, regional, to college shows. How'd you get on that circuit? Same thing? Are you calling people? Yeah, or? so that led, the way that worked is there's right in, in this area, there's a guy named Robert Channing. Yeah, I know uh, who, who owns uh, a college booking agency. Okay. And he's an incredible man, yeah. became an incredible mentor. I've never seen his show, though. Amazing yeah. show. I've seen wonderful. Like, videos. Yeah, wonderful show. Amazing show. He will literally blow your mind. Yeah. It's, it's incredible if you ever get a chance to see it. And he kind of was at a local show. I think I was doing a show for like Shriners or okay. something. And he was literally like, hey, are you ready to, do you want to step up and do you want to go up to another level? And I was like, ah, I could give it a try if you think my show's good enough because he, he had the eye. And he, yeah. and, um, and he started literally booking me in colleges all over the region. And it started off being all over the country uh, after that. And I learned a lot of business from mm. Robert, a lot about business. He was definitely my number two business mentor. Um, and that's where I learned, hey, if you're going to do this, even with an agent, now you're not just marketing to the public. You're also marketing to the yeah. agent. Because like you said, they have a big roster, right? Yeah. So every couple of weeks, I'm calling that agent. Yeah, like, hey, attention. man, yeah. how's the family? What's going on? Hey, remember me? I'm still down here on your list. Hey, four months from now, there's no shows on the books. Like, yeah. let's let's start going. So you, you, you start to market to the agent as well. How do you do that besides just checking in? Because it seems like there's a lot. It's just a lot of um, uh, you're fighting for... Those, those yeah. attention calories, right? Relationships, right? Yeah. I think every story uh, so far in my 40 years, uh, I'm turning 40 in a couple of weeks, um, what I've learned is, and it's so true, right? Mentors told me this early, teachers, it's about building relationships yeah. with people. And yeah, maybe those ca calls start off as, hey, just remember me, I'm over here. But eventually, there's just, you build a friendship and you build yeah. a relationship. And uh, for better or for worse, right? Because as we know, as artists, uh, there's some some people you look up on stages that have had, or achieved a certain amount of fame or success. You're like, there's no way that's talent based. You know what I mean? Like, right, like right. they just know the right people, which I'm not <laughs> right. saying is good or bad. Right, but it is. It and just is. It just is. And yeah. then there's vice versa. There are people yeah. who are up there who are truly amazingly yeah. talented, but they didn't have to build those relationships. Their their talent just purely. I mean, there's a third know, category of people that are amazing that have not been able to build the relationships and maybe haven't. Some of the best go. magicians in the world don't even do it professionally. Yeah. Um, I can think of 10 people that are incredible magicians that are like engineers or, yeah. or lawyers or even uh, someone who works at a coffee shop. Like they just have no interest in yeah. being commercially successful. Uh, one of the greatest magicians in the world, his name is Babel. He's from Paris. And this man will blow your mind. And his gig, his literal gig is every day he goes down near the Eiffel Tower when it's not cold, so during the summer months, and he sets up a little table, and he will just sit there, and he will just do card tricks until people notice walking by, and he's a busker, and he literally will sit there, but he people don't realize. It's like when mm -hmm. Fallon goes on the subway and he's yeah, disguised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, they don't realize that he's what one seeing. of the greatest yeah. living magicians in the world, but not everyone has, you know, commercial success. But he can make a, a living doing it? I mean, yeah. that's the, yeah. you know. Yeah, but then there's other people who don't, who are still just yeah. incredible. It's a... Uh, it, it, I think that the easy answer is, is relationships, but there's nothing easy about getting yeah. those relationships. In tiering, every time, the struggle just never ends, right? Because So I went from touring colleges to then uh, did a lot of cruise ships, yep. which is a great gig. 
um, Chelsea and I joke, we say our, our worst case scenario keeps getting better, right? Like now our worst case scenario is we go back to cruise ships yeah. if, if, if we don't want to tour yeah. anymore. Um, it's a great lifestyle. I got to see the world doing it. Um, but then I, I just wanted to produce my own tour. So in 2019, we started. And uh, it's, it's different because you're talking to venues who could be seating 500 people or like the Stanleys, yeah. 3,000 people. Uh, there's no there's no right or wrong for either either of those. They they both got to be marketed. Yep. Um, you got to know your your market. Like we know we can't command three thousand tickets and markets outside of Utica. You right. know what I mean? Just because my name's bigger here, so we're more realistic. And in, in venues like when we go to Rochester, mm -hmm. they'll close the balcony off mm -hmm. and just keep people down downstairs. And it's uh, but again, it's all relationships. I just got back from Manhattan where we were at a performing arts conference. Um, and you know, the whole thing, it's like a trade show. You have a booth, yeah. people come up, oh, you look kind of cool. And you know, um, and it usually takes like two to three years. Like you just got to be there, put in the FaceTime and first year they're like, oh, okay. Noted. Yeah. And then year two, they're like, oh, you're still here. Cool. So wait, what do you do you, again? You survive. Yeah. Right? yeah. What, do, what do you do again? And then it's like the third year. Oh, we got a spot that would be perfect for you. You know what I mean? So, so it's so. just hanging on. Just hanging on. How do you deal or can you, do you have any stories about, um, Maybe in some of those, or maybe it's maybe it's even more recent. Like, part of any creative business is dealing with rejection and failure. Yeah. You have anything that comes to mind? Where I'm like, yeah. What's, yeah. Give me every every day. Yeah. Okay. I mean, what's that saying? You got to just fail forward, yeah. right? Or yeah, fail yeah. upwards. Um, Ninety nine point nine percent of people are going to say no, especially the market I'm trying to tap into yeah. now because I don't have a proven track record. So you know, how do you get, how do you mentally get yourself to be okay with that? I guess like, it's just been happening my whole life, yeah. right? You just got to, I think hearing from other people who have been successful through failure, which is like almost everybody. everybody. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Like there's no, there. you're going to hit failure no matter what. And it's a good thing. Learn from that, that failure, what, what I do right, what I do wrong, and then fail upwards. And it only takes one yes. Like in some of the most interesting times when I'm like, wow, we didn't, we didn't hit that quota for the month or whatever. A day later, a call comes it and it's like, oh, it just took one yes yeah. instead of all those no's. So like right now, we're trying to market to venues in the 800 to 1500 seat range, right? Because I know I can consistently mm -hmm. sell about 800 tickets in a market where I'm relatively unknown yeah. just through good marketing. Um, but why would a producer take a chance on me when they can go book a music act or like, I'm not just in mm -hmm. competition with magicians, right? I'm it's in competition with all entertainment. Yeah. Now there's people who just have a, like a Netflix series that will go and just give a talk. They're not even entertainers. You know what mm. I mean? So there's so many, so much competition. Uh, but why, so I got to give them a reason and build a relationship of why they would take yeah. a chance on me. I almost have to sometimes produce things myself, which I do all the time, what do you mean, like rent a venue. Like oh, if they, yeah. how does that business work? Yeah. Like, if they yeah. truly won't give me a shot, but I mm -hmm. know I would do well in that market and I believe in myself, I put, I got to put skin in the yeah, game. Yeah. So I literally take the risk of financial failure, um, by, by renting a facility. So you, you rent it. And there's, there's so many ways to cut these deals. Yeah. That's why everyone always says to me, and it's a compliment when they say this, they come up and go, wow, like we've been to Vegas and we've seen the shows and you should definitely be there. And it's like, thank you. I really appreciate that. But you have no idea what you're actually saying because 20 years ago is about when the glory days ended. It was great mm -hmm. from the start of Vegas to yeah. 20, which was I, you have a great act. They, a producer sees you and goes, hey, I want to give you Let's a big contract it. to yeah. sit at a casino. I don't care if I lose money as long as I can comp people on the show. They're happy they stay yeah. in the casino, right? That business is dead. 
Um, unless you are a major, major act now. But even people like Copperfield are mm-hmm. renting the room. So they rent mm. the room. They have these deals with the casinos. Like they, they share ticket revenue. Um, the business has completely changed. Weird. So it's not what people think anymore um, in 99.9% of the cases. Uh, the business side is there's four-walling deals. So four-wall is a flat rent. So like if I went to the Stanley's, I want a four-wall. They go, okay, great. It's X amount of money. Mm-hmm. And now I am responsible for all the additional marketing budget, the yep. union costs, the the people to load the show in, load the show out. They're just um, my team, the space. just giving yeah. you a space. They're giving you four walls, and yep. what you do with those four walls is on you. Then there's two wall deals where, like, you can. They may or may not still ask you for some rent, but no one's making any money unless tickets are sold. Okay. And then there's splits coming in, and all those splits come after costs are done too. Yeah. So if your yeah. costs are twenty grand. And you only make twenty grand in tickets, ticket sales. Yeah, nobody went nobody home got anything. You're you're at zero. Yeah. And then there's straight up deals where they just will guarantee you money, but those are few and yeah. far between these days. Are there have there been instances where um I because I can think about this again from the from the music days where it's like you you have the confidence, you go in, and then at the end of the day it's like oh, nobody showed up. Like oh, and, yeah. and how do you from on the promoter end and yeah. you know, in some in some cases it's kinda like, well, they're never going to have us back, <laughs> you know, or, oh, or, yeah. or it, that happens. It happens yeah. all the time. We just had our most successful fall tour um, in, in tw- the fall of 2023. Um, and it was absolutely incredible. We did 11 shows routed over three weeks, which is what I had always been missing is that routing component, right? Cause yeah. you can keep costs down when you route. Cause obviously the more mm-hmm. shows that you add in a short amount of time, yeah. now you can get into profit territory, right? Um, so it's kind of like the it's like a tour. It's just like a regular. It's tour. exactly yeah. that's all it is. I, I forget I'm talking to yeah, it's yeah. All right. um, people that are listening might not have those. But, but out of one of those shows, there was a venue who did not keep up their end of the marketing agreement, and sales were not good. Yeah. Like it was yeah. an 800 seat venue, and there was like 200 people there, and that's not good for anybody. Yeah. Um, and and the fallout from that is it's going to be very very difficult to get back because even if you can prove that it wasn't your mm-hmm. fault. Uh, they're, they're still, they just look at numbers, right? It's yeah. a, it's a, it's, it's a, a dollars for, and cents it's a for profit business as much as the arts, uh, you know, are amazing. Uh, a lot of these commercial venues that aren't funded with grants and yeah. stuff like that, they need to survive too. And even though the 200 people there loved it, wasn't enough to do it. It's not enough to, to make the business viable. When you, um, you've done an, uh, an amazing, um, amount of, I mean, you've you've done you know with, with Penn and Teller. You've had a lot yeah. of TV experience. Yeah, a lot of TV shows. Um, I you know I guess maybe a lot of people would call those those big breaks. And I would want to ask I guess two questions around these. One is, um, or any stories that you want to share. But no, but first of all, I'm super interested in um, this idea of how those came about. Were those things like um, long, steady climbs that it finally, you know, the weight finally uh, uh, went this way, or was it just kind of like serendipitous? I guess that's question number one. And question number two is, um, what's the, what would have been the downstream impacts of those kinds of appearances? Like, do those really make, do those really um, add jet fuel to the, uh, to the tank? Yeah. So America's Got Talent uh, was the big one, right? That's still to this day, the biggest TV show in the world. Um, the way that happened is, you're good. You're good. The way that happened is, I got a call from a producer because they they have scouting teams, right? And they're like, "Hey, we'd love to have you on America's Got Talent. We're going to be doing an, uh, a producer's audition, which is opposite what you see on TV. So TV is a cattle call, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Say, hey, come audition for America's Next. You're waiting in lines yeah. for hours. A producer's audition is you're literally walking into a building at a scheduled time. You're yeah. rolling, and then you're out of there because they respect your time as a professional. Mm-hmm. And they said, we're going to be in Boston. And I just so happened that I was going to be doing a college show in Boston like that same weekend. So I was like, sure, I'll stop in. I audition. It goes great. They're like, hey, we're already filled for this current season with mm-hmm. mag- the magic category, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. You're just it, it still boils down yeah. to you're filling a box, right, yep. for somebody. Um, so they can report to their boss, say, we got those boxes yeah. checked. So they're like, if anybody drops out, you're in. No one drops out. I don't hear anything. A whole year goes by, and they call me back, and they go, hey, we'd love to have you come in for a producer's audition again. Would you do it? And I said, no. You liked me last year. Here's what I've been working on. I sent them a tape. Mm-hmm. And I just said, this is what I'll do if you want me on the live show. And it worked. We, okay, whoa. So was that due to you just not having time? Or were you just kind of like, it was I'm, a little I'm bit of both. pissed at these guys? It was a little bit of okay. both. It was kind of like... It was kind of like I had started doing really well by that point yeah. with my with my college tour and then my self produced tour. So I was like, "Yeah, it'd be great to be on the world's biggest TV show." But at that point, in my time at that point in my life, I had like if you told twelve year old Leon he'd yeah. be doing what I was doing at that age when AGT came calling, I'd be like, "I've made it." You but if you I told twelve year old Leon that he would be like, "I don't need this great biggest TV show yeah. in America," oh, like he, that's a whole other that's a know. whole other conversation we yeah. can go down at some point. But that was the reality, which is I was willing to say no yeah. um, because just financial incentives were already yeah. really good at that yeah. time. And I so I, t- I said, "Here's what I've been working on. It's brand new. No one else in America at the time, no other mm-hmm. illusionist had this prop, right? Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. ties into yeah. the creatives yeah. part." This was something I saw in Europe, and I contacted the builder. I was like, I love the look of that. Mm-hmm. So I knew no one else had it. I knew if they wanted it on the TV show, they had to come to me to get it. Now everyone has one yeah. because they saw me do it on AGT, and yeah, they con- yeah. contacted the builder. But So they said, sure. And literally, the first time I ever drove in Manhattan, I drove a 24-foot U-Haul full of illusions and brought it to um, it was the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York, okay. which is where they set the whole AGT set up. Howard, uh, Howard Stern's there, Howie Mandel, Heidi Klum, Mel B. I get rolled out on stage. I do my thing. And it's a whirlwind. It's yeah. all, even to this day, it's just like, oh, I don't know what happened. And they say yes. And then that leads to me making it all the way to this. Uh, I was technically a finalist, but the, I guess the official wiki page is semi-finalist because I was one episode away from, from being in the finals. Mm-hmm. And then I got brought back as a wild card. But that, that, what that helped do was it was much easier because you asked about the down, the long yeah, stream yeah. effects. Um, it was much easier for about two years to get bookings yeah. easier. I wouldn't say easily, but easier. Just riding that. Everyone's Just familiar ride. with it, right? Everyone's yeah. familiar with it. Corporate shows yeah. especially. They want the person that was on that yeah. season. And then what it really did was it opened up more TV shows for me. So that's how those other shows came. As soon as on America's Got Talent, a show called Wizard Wars on mm-hmm. Sci-Fi came on, which was also yeah. hosted by Penn & Teller. Um, and that was amazing. And then that led to me going overseas to Paris and doing a bunch of TV shows over there, which then coming back to the States led to Penn and Teller Fool Us, which then led to Masters of Illusion, which I've been on Fool Us twice, Masters of Illusion three times. I'm, I'm still filming in a couple of weeks for them. It's just a repetitive series. Mm-hmm. And my goal currently is to try to be on at least one major national TV show every 18 to 24 months because it just helps you with the yeah. market. It's a marketing sure. plan. It's a business, right? So the downstream effects are, are great if you know what to do with it. The resume now is super impressive. Yeah, yeah. Like when I go to conferences and um, they always have college kids there that are just starting to learn about the business, yeah. right? And they always stop by my booth and they're like, wow, look at these references. And, and I'm like, yeah, but it's taken 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, it's taken a decade to get yeah. those. Um, 
not all great experiences sure. either. But the now nowadays where we live, like the winner of America's Got Talent. Can you tell me who it was this year? Wow. Exactly. And yeah. I don't think most people could. It's hot for a day or two, yeah. and then it goes. I have people. So I technically finished thirteenth, lucky number thirteen. Mm-hmm. I have people to this day that come up to me and go, congratulations on winning America's Got Talent. Awesome. You'll take and, it. Exactly. And I got yeah. sick of correcting people because it actually, when you correct people, it makes them actually feel kind of yeah, bad. Yeah. And I would see their face. So I actually just, I play, just say, thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed the show. And, yeah. You know, it's usually at merch when they're buying Yeah, no, that's or, awesome. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, it's been great. Like I said, if you told 12-year-old Leon any of this would have happened, uh, he'd be like, no. Do I, you like doing the, the series? Or or do you look at it as, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's it's not all, you know, it's not an awful experience, but is do you think about those more as um, it's it's the marketing arm of your business, or that's like another um, uh, revenue line and and the thing that you do as part of your profession? I think of it all encompassing. I think it's a, like now when I get TV offers, it's like well, if I've already been on the show and I'm moving a show to do mm-hmm. that, I probably won't. Yeah. Um, because despite what you think, uh, it's not exactly like they're not throwing yeah. thousands of dollars at you per performance. Um, they're I looking mean, at it as exposure. The yeah, own of course, for producer. Yeah. Oh, hey, we'd love to give you this opportunity yeah. for more market exposure, yeah. which they're, they have a job too. Sure, they have to sure. keep budgets in check. Yeah. And, you know, it is what it is. Um, you're a professional. You're, you're a pro- professional. Yep. You're a professional. You're doing your thing. So you have to weigh those costs. Um, but I look at it as all encompassing. It's okay. marketing. It's revenue stream. It's, is this fun? And I'm, I'm lucky enough now where I can make those. That, whereas before, I was like, yes, I have to do this TV show. Yeah. Now it's like, well, how much of a pain of a butt is this going to be? And, and will it be enjoyable? Will my friends be there? I've built so many great friends in this business yeah. now uh, that are all wonderful magicians that I would, I would, if I lost a show to them, I'd be like, they deserve it, you know, because mm-hmm. they're great. Yeah. Um, so are my friends going to be on this shoot? Um, who's producing it? Um, all kinds of stuff. It's just there's so many wonderful stories. We could be we could be here all day. Well, give me give me one of them. What's what's been your favorite experience so far? Oh, favorite experience. So I will say this: America's Got Talent. The first few rounds are not that user friendly. You know what I mean? They want they're there to make a TV show, yeah. and if you do good, that's good. If you do bad, that's good yeah. because people humans like naturally wreck, right? they want to watch train yeah. wrecks, right? So once you get so. The first three episodes I was on was not like a great environment. It was high stress, high, high, high stress. And of course, they let you know, like, this is your, because when you're doing your B roll packages with the producers, you're like, what would a million dollars do and how would it change your mm-hmm. life in a residency in Vegas or whatever they were offering that yeah. season? And of course, now all of a sudden you're starting to think, oh my God, this would change. And you start to build yeah. into, the, into the pressure and you, and you can't even focus on what you're doing. But then as I got to the live rounds when we were at Radio City Music Hall, then it all of a sudden becomes there's less acts to deal with. So now you have your own personal producer. And it gets, I wouldn't say nurturing, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a much better environment. So experiencing that and then going to Penn & Teller Fool Us like 18 months later, being on their show was absolutely incredible. It was, it was nothing but nurturing. They want you to succeed. They want the magic to look good. Mm-hmm. They want you to look good. They go out of their way to make sure that you are going to be represented in a good way. Um, so that, that to this day is one of the, one of the best experiences that I've had. I, uh, you know, I talk to them all the time. Uh, they're very supportive of magic. Uh, I love it. When you're, I guess to kind of follow that up uh, for, for a little bit, you've met a lot of your heroes, I'm assuming the biggest names in this, in this industry. And, um, what, what is that? Has that shifted your, um, I don't mean opinions about any any one person in particular, but I got to imagine that 
like, eh, they're, most people are just people at this point. Exactly. And um, I guess, how has that changed the way that maybe you interact not only with other professionals, but I got to imagine you've seen some of your heroes that carry themselves like heroes and some people that carry themselves like probably someone that you might not, you think you're going to be friends, but you're not right. going to actually be exactly. friends. Exactly. Right? Yeah. How has that like in, influenced the way that you carry yourself as a performer and, and someone that, that interacts with audiences all the time? Yeah, I think it, I think it just, it's, it's such good life experience, right? Because I try, I am not a character on stage. I'm a little mm-hmm. more amplified, mm-hmm. I would, I would think, but uh, although, although some close to me would say I'm too amplified in real life. Um, so, I, I'm not a character, and that way I don't have to worry about acting one way on stage and acting another way off stage. I, I'd say 90% of the people that I look up to and have met have been absolutely incredible, um, both on and off stage. And then there's always a few people sure. that aren't you know, what they appear to be. Um, but I, was just, I just brought my mom last night to go see Priscilla Presley in, oh, yeah, in, in yeah. Rome. And, um, and it was so interesting to hear her talk about Elvis and my mom and I had a conversation on the way back home because she idolizes Elvis and loves him, and because uh, he was supposed to yeah, be, he was supposed to be yeah, here, at the, like the odd, his, right? that next died. that next yeah. concert he was supposed to play was here. She still got her ticket stub. <laughs> Turns out it's not worth anything because everyone's got them still. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I was gonna go see Elvis, um, but she's like, she's like, wow, I never knew that about Elvis. And I was like, yeah, man, it's you know, it's a, it's the same thing. It's like not everyone is them the the person you see on stage is not and not that Elvis was bad or anything but it's just like she's like I didn't know that about mm-hmm. him and not not what you see on stage is what carries on over into yeah. everyone's life and most people people are just people we all have the same needs wants desires fears mm-hmm. um and I, Chelsea and I say it to each other all the time no matter what level you get to you're always dealing with some sort of problem sure like success money the credits it doesn't change anything it's just amplified of what you're dealing with um because we'll listen to we love watching documentaries on entertainers and we'll just look at each other and and just smile because they're like oh my god not only did we go through it but we're still going through it and Mm -hmm. if we get to where our next goal milestone is it's still still gonna gonna be be there there. and i just saw a brilliant quote from jim carrey the other day because i think he just celebrated a big birthday yeah it's like 60 years yeah Yeah, Yeah. 60 yeah yeah probably and uh and he literally said i wish everyone would achieve the fame money and success that they want so they know that it's not the key to happiness i actually saw that online and it's true. true it's really true and i'm only speaking from my life experience but every single time i set a goal and hit it I think when I was younger, I'd be like, oh, that'll solve yeah. all my problems. But then as you start ticking those boxes off, you're like, oh, actually, actually, no, if you're not happy outside of the goals and success, you're not going to be happy when you have. You're just going to be a miserable person with success. How has, uh, I guess I want to just go two more areas, and then I promise I'll be respectful of your time, but I could do no, this it's all day, good. dude. No, it's, um, I love it. I just hope it's entertaining. No, I don't know if great. anyone's getting great. anything because, out of you know, this. You know, we we've known each other tangentially ramp. over years, but I don't know your whole story. Yeah. This is great. Yeah, it's how um just a kid from Utica with a magic kit. That's <laughs> <laughs> literally what. Um, but so you, you know, when you're talking about more success, more challenges, you've gone from you know Leon hauling the gear around. Now you got a team. Now you yes. got a crew. Now you got a warehouse. Yeah. Um, that is all, that's a whole different skill set, a whole different set of complications. How did you grow into that? And how do you, how do you think of yourself? Um, because you're in this, like you're in the CEO role, you are the product, you know, you are the boss. 
Um, and you're on the road. The truck with, driver, the, truck the hotel driver, booker, the, yeah. the merchandise And you're person. on the road yeah. with people. You're, you're, yeah. Your partners are in the show, right? We're, yeah, we're a family. And yeah. like, like families, have, you know, if someone's not in yeah. a good mood that day, all that. Yeah. So one of the best, one of the, I guess it's funny to me as a, as a magician. I don't know if it's funny to the general public. But when I first want to get into illusions, one of my early mentors was like, oh, so you want to be a furniture mover. And I didn't get it at yeah. first, right? Because illusions are big. Yeah. They're props. They, they, yeah. they have to be assembled. They have to go on trucks. Um, they have to be maintained. They have to be maintained. They have to be replaced. They have yeah. to be, when you let another shipping company touch them, like I don't sleep at night until yeah. I know, until I see my, see in person again. I've had forklifts go through road cases, I've, which is when you learn that the insurance industry does not treat uh, $2,000 road cases. That's just to protect what's inside. $2,000 road cases, they don't treat those as replaceable. They treat those as disposable. So, oh, those are just boxes. So go buy another box. We're not reimbursing you. So we'll, we'll fix the thing inside. Yeah, we'll only if the inside thing is damaged. If it, but if your box is ruined, oh, just go buy another box. Tax write-off. We're not, we're not insuring Ooh. that. Yeah, you don't learn that stuff till yeah. you go through it. You don't know that casters on, on these road cases are like $40 each, yeah. and you need four per box. You know what I mean? So it's all these things. But I get the, the furniture mover reference because I still, to this day, will drive the truck once in a while when needed. Yeah, I have a, yeah. a great team now. Um, but if, you know, if it has to be done, we just do it. You throw on all the caps and I'm always constantly juggling the different job titles. And, and I got, a, I, I, I've been lucky that we have a great team that tours with us. So we have myself, Chelsea, who is mm-hmm. the main onstage assistant, mm-hmm. but also a co-producer of the show, both artistically, creatively, um, business side as mm-hmm. well. Then we have Mallory, um, Mallory Miller. She's, uh, she's actually from Boonville. Oh, cool. And I met her um, when I needed to do a photo shoot in Utica, and we put out a casting call, and she was such a great fit. We've kept her with the team. And then we have a production manager uh, from Long Island who's toured with everybody and anybody. And when we first found him, I was like, there's no way this guy's going to work with us. But he's done so much. He's just like, I, I kind of want. And they go on the road. This, yeah, they're, they're, on the this road is the road well. team. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's like, I kind of want just a cool family project where it's yeah. not such a corporate entity. Um, and then we have Spencer, our audio guy and video guy. Amazing. And then Elliot Lester, uh, who's right here from Utica. I found him during the pandemic, an incredible production manager or technical director. And, and lighting guy, and it's it really is a family. Uh, we love we love doing the show together and touring, uh, but like a family, you have personalities, and yeah. if someone's not feeling well that day or cranky, you just got to deal with it all. And the the way it evolved is just out of necessity. I didn't have an illusion show ten years ago, but I started with one illusion. I was like, okay, I made enough money on this show mm-hmm. where I can now go and invest in this, and I didn't have the money to buy them because, like I said, the guy that builds my stuff now is the Copperfield guy. Like okay. as you can imagine, yeah. budgets are not yeah. cheap here. So I couldn't afford that. So I learned how to take old props because there's like websites and stuff you can go to buy used magic. Of course there is. Of course there is. And, it's, and I would go and buy used ones. Who, that, I remember my first one. It was a crystal casket illusion. This is a fun, fun okay. story, if, at least to me. First prop, I go to a warehouse in New Jersey with one of my mentors. He knows this guy has a collection of used props. I said, I really want a crystal casket. What a crystal casket is, it has nothing to do with death. It's a box that's clear mm-hmm. and you cover it and then... Boom, there's a girl there, right? Okay. Like, it's a miracle. Yeah, yeah. And, and I wanted one. He goes, I know this guy who's got one, uh, <laughs> right? Like, it yeah. sounds shady. Gotta, gotta I know this guy yeah, down in a in warehouse Jersey. in Jersey uh, <laughs> near Newark. Uh, and, uh, and sure enough, we go down there. He opens this storage yeah. facility up, and there's a bunch of crystal caskets. However, they had a come off. A bunch of crystal caskets? A bunch caskets? of them. Okay. He, this guy, like, buys used props. Okay. Like, it's almost like, uh, like an antique rescue, except for like, okay. magic rescue, right? All these crystal caskets had come off a Carnival cruise ship, 
and they were produced for some like mermaid show. So each crystal casket was designed to look like a pink treasure chest. Okay. Not the vibe you were going not, for. Yeah, not me not at that. all. Yeah. And I'm staring at it. I go, this, this is really, and I had like, I had like, I think 600 bucks in my pocket. And these things go for thousands, yeah. right? And so my mentor was like, he's like, what? You don't, we pulled me aside. He's like, you don't like the looks? I go, yeah, it's pink. He goes, yeah, I know. And he goes, listen, just let me handle this. So he goes in and he talks to the guy and he gets it for 500 bucks. Okay. So I end up having a hundred bucks left in my pocket, right? Now I got to drive all the way back up from Jersey to Utica. And the whole time I'm just angry because I'm like, yeah. it doesn't look, this isn't. And that's when my mentor said, look, I got this. I know how to refurbish these things, but I'm not going to do it. You're going You're to yeah. do it. So side by side over the next couple of weeks, he taught me how to work with wood and aluminum and plexiglass and learn all these things and be able to, and we rebuilt that thing from the ground up. We took it down to what we needed, the secret mm-hmm. part, right? That makes the girl appear. But then I built everything else around it so that it looked like magic rocks. Yeah. And that was the beginning of it. And then I just repeated that for a few years. And then as the show started growing, now I just, we work in PDFs and draw in CAD now. Like we'll just design things and I'll send it out to my builder and then he comes back with a quote. And if we like it, we do it. Um, and yeah, we, it's, it's just evolved. It's just, it's a process. Have you ever gotten through a um, building an illusion or a, a prop, I guess the, the, the right term for it, and you're going through the design and then, man, that doesn't work like I thought it was going to work. Not only that. But so you're saying design? I mean, I've general, got the you're, physical thing done. You're building it. That's what I'm saying. You're and building it, it on paper. And it doesn't work. Right? Yeah. And it doesn't work. So that's the thing about magic. There is no Walmart. When do you know it doesn't work? Like when you go when to you... try it, when it's in the <laughs> warehouse. So I will okay. tell you this I've never bought, as good as these, as these guys are, I've never bought an illusion that when it arrives, you can perform it. Really? It just doesn't exist because body dimensions sure. of everyone are different. Like we measure our assistants. I yeah. measure myself. But even then, if someone misses something, I had one just this summer, brand new, a dream illusion, always wanted it. Got it up to, we were uh, teching it in Old Forge because I had a yeah, residency yeah, yeah. up there. I was like, I'm going to try it this summer because, you know, you pound the pavement yeah. up there and then we can take it on the road. If it, and I couldn't figure out how to make the secret work. And I designed the thing it. with my builder and it turned out in the shop in Vegas, someone put two bolts in the wrong spot. So I couldn't get the thing to open properly so that the trick could yeah. work. So I had to dismantle the whole thing. Oh That's God. 10 hours. Figure out what was wrong with it. Yeah. Fix that. Then put it back together. So I've never had one that works. And that is because it's a good thing. It's both a good and bad thing. It's bad because of sure, you got to figure it out. Yeah. But taking these things from paper and drawings and putting them into 3D and then real life, it's just it's not what you think it is. And there's no one you can go to. Uh, that's done it before, especially if it's mm-hmm. something I've created. So you just got to figure it out. And then that's we always do, knock yeah. on wood, but it's not an easy, like there's nothing easy about yeah. this, right? Like if I wanted life to be easy, I'd go work at a nine to five. <laughs> and even those aren't easy. I'm not saying those are easy for people. Uh, pandemic hits. Yeah. And uh, were you in Buffalo or were you here? I, mean, I was on a cruise ship. On a cruise ship. Oh, yeah. man. We that's like ju- the worst place you could be. We had just finished a tour. <laughs> We had just finished it. So here's how that went. Oh my just God. finished a, a, a tour, our, our, our first produced tour at the end of 19, yeah. uh, Christmas on a ship, come home, film Penn and Teller Fool Us in March in Vegas. As I'm checking out, there's a guy in military garb talking with another magician. And he goes, hey, have you heard about this uh, disease that's going around? And I'm just like in the background. And so we, we're flying out. We get on the cruise ship. We're there for like seven days, I think. And then that's when we turn on the news and yeah. everything's just going crazy. Were you stuck on the cruise ship? No, it wasn't stuck. So we, uh, you know, everything, the two-week thing came yeah, out. Yeah. So they said, hey, we're going to cut this cruise short. We're t- actually, they didn't. We did the full cruise, actually. 
Um, we made it back to Fort Lauderdale. And Fort La- I've been to that airport so many times. Yeah. And that was creepy, man, because it was yeah. only us, the yeah, people getting off the cruise ship. And I was like, wow, this, this is legit. And then we transfer in Atlanta. And I've been to Atlanta a million times. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the busiest airports in the world. I could roll a bowling ball down that terminal and not hit anybody. And I was like, wow, yeah. this is. So that's where we were. And then we made it back, back to Utica. But that put the kibosh on all your oh, yeah. touring. So yeah. then I can remember um, watching you do live shows from our living room yeah. with my kids. Yeah. And well, thank you're you sitting for here in. going, <laughs> like, what do you, how, I guess, how did you navigate that part? Because it's like the brakes are on totally. You got to figure out what you're doing. Did it change, I guess, like now that we're kind of out of it, you know, did is what are the lasting impacts of what that experience was like? So several things. Uh, one, I definitely appreciate everything we do a lot more now, right? Um, like just being able to go to Stanley this week yeah. and, and do that show. It's going to be amazing because we can, right? Like I think everyone realized that live life now, right? Because yeah. you never know what tomorrow is. Like we've all heard it. Yeah. But I think that's the first time we've actually experienced it. And then there's real thoughts and fears of like, oh my God. Um, so for the first, I think two or three weeks, it was like I was doing what everyone else was doing, sitting around, mm-hmm. watching, wondering what's going on. I think I hopped on, a buddy uh, who was in charge of a sales team just for morale threw me on a Zoom and it was like, would you join this call? And just, uh, actually, I think it was everyone was FaceTiming because like before Zoom, like, yeah, really oh yeah, yeah. It was like yeah. very early pandemic. Yeah. And uh, and I just did a few tricks and I was like, ah, oh, this is crap because I just love yeah. interacting. And uh, and then I think the call came from a, a friend of ours, Bill Dustin yeah, from yeah. MVCC. And he's like, hey, so this is May, I think, because he was like, for Mother's Day, we'd like to do a free virtual show. Yeah. And I'd never even heard of a virtual show before and not only that but he's like we're just going to broadcast it on facebook yeah which turns out is a horrible idea because i didn't know nobody knew i or maybe people did but i certainly didn't is that there's a delay on facebook when you go facebook live there is a massive delay from what you're doing in real life to there like zoom hadn't hadn't been there yet and people didn't realize that was like in real time 10 20 seconds even longer right so i'd ask a question to the audience and trying to figure this whole show out and then i wouldn't get sitting there i wouldn't get an answer for 20 seconds so i would have to just answer for myself you know like because i knew as a showman (laughs) you can't you can't let you can't delay for 20 seconds and people are just going to sit there so that was the first virtual and it in my opinion like people were very kind and it was Mm -hmm. i guess it was needed right because people just wanted no one knew what we were gonna like everything had to go that way and then, so what I started doing was, um, I, I hated that experience. So I said, how can I still perform for people, uh, but just safely? And I literally s- just put on Facebook, I said, I will go and stand on your front porch I and you this. can, you yeah. can uh, look through your, your window, window. Yeah. and do it. And sure enough, people started ta- for free yeah. and just so I could get out and do something good. Cause yeah. like, I'm not a, a doctor or whatever. Like, what am I going to do to help people right now and help myself, to tell you the truth, just getting stir crazy. So I was like, I can still perform magic and people love it. And uh, that was when I realized that what I do isn't, and we get so many emails and stuff now, but I didn't realize any of this until the pandemic that I'm not just up there doing tricks. There's a lot of people that need magic in their life for whatever reason. And our mission has become the world needs magic now more than ever. And we are on a mission to bring it to as many people in many cities, big or small as we can, because the messages we, we would get after doing those, those social distance performances were just incredible. Like it was just like, wow, people, people really need this. And I didn't know how much I needed to be doing it. 
And then it's just carried on since we were very lucky in the fact that 2020 was obviously not good, but by the time virtual kicked in in 2021, Mm -hmm. it started to get real good. A lot of companies had a lot of resources that they weren't using for live entertainment and stuff that then came our way. And then at the end of 2021, or middle of 2021, when live performances with rules yeah, started yeah. coming back, the combination of the two actually worked out really great yep. for us. Um, we had an incredible year, and then it just the momentum kept going into 22 and 23. The only thing I will say, because you, you brought up like in hindsight, right? The only thing I will say, knowing how it worked out so far, knock on wood, right? Knowing how it worked out, I wish I would have taken that time to relax a little more. Hmm. You know, but that was my whole livelihood. So I was like, and I was like in one of the very, very non-essential businesses, right? Like not even a question, like entertainment's the first thing that goes. So I was like, I was thinking like, am I going to like, what, what's my life going to look like? What if this doesn't end? Um, So knowing how it worked out, I would have tried to relax and enjoy that time more. Cause I know a lot of people got, there was a lot of good that came out of it. A lot of bad, a lot of bad, but a lot of good of people connecting with their families Mm -hmm. and, and reassessing yes just right? what's important in yeah. life and do i really need to make that amount of money if i could have a, a job that i'm more happy in and it it opened up a lot of doors um for a lot of people so there with with the bad came the yin and yang right that make any sense that made a lot of sense and i think um that may be a good place to kind of wind this down other than um you know just plug in again the show this weekend uh at yeah. stanley january uh, I'm 27th. there's still some a couple tickets available there um, there's plenty left yeah there's plenty left so january 27th this weekend uh you can go to magicrocks.com and grab your tickets if you don't uh and i i if you don't want to uh give ticketmaster extra fee money broadway you mm-hmm. gave me a little tip you can call the box office at the stanley or go to the Stanley box office in person, and then that way you don't have yep. to pay those fees. Just pick it at Will Call. I am happy to see that hopefully there's some legislation coming out about that because a lot of people, it's a big mi- misconception. Yeah. A lot of people think for some reason the artist is getting that or that the Stanley's getting that. They are not. It is purely a Ticketmaster yeah. thing. I know it's a hot topic, but in my industry, it's it kind of stinks because I want a family of four to come be able to see me for an affordable price. Yeah. By the time you start adding in all these fees and stuff, it's pricing a lot of people out of yep. the market. And uh, it's just it's not good for anyone except for for the people who don't really need it. And as someone <laughs> that controls, you're running full stack, you know, illusion business. Yeah, that's the one part that you can't I can't control. Con- I cannot control. If a venue is committed under contract yeah. to Ticketmaster, there is nothing I can do about yeah. it. Absolutely nothing. Um, and we we literally see it in the results. So going back to business, venues that can control their pricing and do not have to add exorbitant mm-hmm. fees, right? Um, we see our numbers, both in revenue, attendance, and for the venue, everyone wins more, yeah. at least for the venues I'm playing, because I'm not yeah, you yeah. Know, a huge act. Um, but when we do go to the venues that have to abide by the Ticketmaster, it's just not as good. It just isn't. So so do that. Go go to, go to and call the box office or show up in person, then that way you can avoid, avoid the Ticketmaster fees. Well, look, man, I appreciate you taking time. I'm glad to finally connect. This is awesome. Um, and we'll see you on the weekend, right? Yes, sir. How about we do a trick? Let's do a trick. Yes. Can you, can you I, I wasn't even gonna, I wasn't even no? going to ask you because no, be no. Like, let's uh, do it. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Let's do a All trick. Right. Uh, so here, just uh, it's a, just just confirm it is a, and we can show. It's just a deck What's of cards. What's the oh, the, it's oh that's a, is the Joker. It might be Joker. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Okay. One, money two. Card. Yeah, the money card. The money card. Okay. Jokers are wild, but you guys can yeah see on camera. So here's what I want you to do: just touch any card you want. All right, take it. 
said the same one idea. Yeah, yeah, well, you can switch if you want. No, no, it's I'm up good, to I'm you. Good. Okay, I want you. I want you to trust I'm the good. process. Right. And if you want to show it to the camera, you can as well. So I'll show it to you. Yeah, yeah. All right. You know what it is. Anyway. And then put it back right there. I actually don't, oh. but check it out. That card goes right back in the middle. Yeah. Right? Is that fair? Yes or no? That's fair. Right? Your eyes don't deceive you. All we did was you took a card out, we put it back I, in the I've been like watching this like a hawk. Not, Good. Nothing is... Now, all I want you to do is think of your card. Okay. Make a fist. Tap the deck. Now, because you did that, Ryan, one card will start to change color because of the tap. Get out of here. One card is blue. One card is blue. What was your card, sir? It was Ace of Clubs. Let's see how we did. The ace of clubs, the ace of mind, clubs. like blown. the ace of spades. Blown. Well, well, let's take it a little step further. Whenever you want, just say stop again. Stop. Right there. Yeah. All right. Look at that card. Yeah. Show it over here to the camera. Goes right back in. And please think of that card. Okay. Give the deck a tap, and check it out, man. One card. Change color. Maybe. Oh wait. Sometimes they stick. No blue card, right? No blue card. Well, actually, there is still a blue card sitting on the table that we haven't touched. No way. Can you please turn it over? That is crazy. <laughs> there you go. It's a normal card. Yeah, of course. Come on. <laughs> Come on. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Take another just because I love doing this. Right. It's going to work Anyone again? you want. Anyone you want. All right. Yeah. You can look at it. You can show it to the camera. You got if it. You want. All right. Okay. And just say stop. Stop. Put it back right there. All right. And you'll remember that. Yeah. All right. Watch. We're gonna mix these in. And the important part here is just that you remember the card. And you brought up the money card. Yeah. Which is the jokers. And some people ask, well, why do you keep the jokers in there? And there's a very specific reason. I'm gonna show you. You may have noticed that they were, they were face up mm -hmm. on the table, right? Mm -hmm. So when you, I know this sounds crazy, but it is true. When you were showing your card. They have eyes. Okay. They're not blind. They they saw your card. So I'm going to set one joker on top of the deck. Okay. The other joker on the bottom, right? So now I've sandwiched yeah. the entire deck. And when you say go, they're going to do something crazy. Say go. And go. I know it doesn't look like anything's happening, but they're literally running up and down through the deck trying to find your card right now. Okay. They're moving so fast it looks like they're not moving. But you can still see the one on the bottom. Yeah. See I the do. one on top. Say go one more time. Go. With a snap. Now, there is just one card trapped between those two jokers. Ryan, was your card red? Yeah. Was it a heart? Yeah. Was it the ace of hearts? Yeah. Yes, it was. The jokers did wow. it again. Wow. <laughs> there we go. There we go. This, this is the fun and it's stuff. Like right in front of me. Yeah. That's the best part. 